We're excited and honored to welcome an artist who embodies the living spirit of the double bass, of music, of jazz, and well beyond. The maestro sits in a unique position having played and recorded with an expansive lineage of jazz luminaries from Miles Davis and Sonny Rollins up to today with Jonathan Batiste and Nicholas Payton. But the maestro has also played and recorded with an equally expansive lineage of pop, soul, and R&B artists from Roberta Flack, Aretha Franklin, Tribe Called Quest, of course. But all this while consistently leading his own bands and his own recordings, teaching and influencing several generations of bassists and musicians in general in jazz and beyond. He's authored numerous books on technique, method, transcription, as well as a comprehensive online course on Open Studio Blueprint for Jazz Bass. Oh, and he's also a longtime fashion icon, in fact, the OG of Planet Elegance. He's a father, a grandfather, a husband, as well as a mentor and a conscience to several generations of jazz musicians now on all instruments. We welcome the man, the legend, the maestro, Mr. Ron Carter. Hey, hey. Thank you. Who's a little introduction? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little introduction. Good morning, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning to you. It's always so great to see you, to feel your spirit. Uh, you know, just as as a legend, certainly, but as a little bit of a friend and getting to know you and just, you know, your humanity illuminates so many through your music, but those that get a chance to meet you. It's amazing over the years how many just different fans of the music that have said, oh, I got to meet him once in 1968. Like they remember, folks remember meeting you. Of course, bassists do. And they remember your specific notes and lines and your choices and how you've influenced that. But you've had, you're one of these um, kind of rare artists that touch people in a way, especially I think as a bassist where you're in the middle, but you're kind of in the back, you're a tall gentleman. So people do see you up there, but you have this connection with people um, that really transcends the instrument and the, and the music. And I wonder just if we could start there and like, is there any okay. secret, to, is there any secret to that? Or like, how do you see that from your side in terms of the thousands, the tens of the hundreds of thousands of people that you've interacted with and brought pleasure to their life? Well, fortunately for, for you guys and whoever sees this uh, interview, I have a special uh, uh, screen that I place over my computer screen, like, like a, like a drop down screen like that. Mm -hmm. you know? And what it does, it prevents the interviewer, in this case, you two guys see me blush. <laughs> oh, we can, we can see you a little bit. It looks more joy. Oh, can, than, I, got, I got the screen. Right. <laughs> it looks more like joy than blush to me. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, to hear those kind of introductory comments, I'm not quite sure that you're talking about me because I just see me as being a guy who no longer accepts being behind the palm tree for a long time. Mm. Uh, that's kind of my image of the bass players up till recently, up until 25 years or so ago. I think the bass was the last instrument to start making the kind of progress piano made or saxophone made or drums made, you know. I think one of the reasons that happens is that the bass players were not comfortable with their role other than just being the, the, the feel of the beat. Mm. Not that notes weren't important to them, of course they were, but that was not the band's focus. That's been, that's been changing now it's ten, that's a whole other apex of what the bass's input and, and, and necessary presence can be. Mm. And to know that people who like to say come up to me and tell me how they'd heard my music in college and helped them get through nights at school, that's really amazing to know that back then uh, the bass was starting to creep into their consciousness now. You know, it was no longer 
uh, a real nice color wallpaper back there, you know, with the nice flowers on it. You know, they start to hear, not necessarily know who it was, but it, it began to impact them. It, it began to get their attention, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's nice to know that I have met some of these people down through the years who continued that love of music and their awareness of the, of the bass player's presence mm-hmm. uh, to see me at a club or at a concert, you know, or the post office. You know, I'm trying to be in the car, need to put my hand on like this in the sideways. So I know who you are, man, you know. <laughs> but they remember back in the day when bass, as a general rule, was not the first name on the announcer's menu, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm thankful for the screen that you can't see me blessed the color I am. So let's go to something else. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it brings up a good point. But you are a part of people's understanding of, of the importance of the bass's role in music. And I also think that, you know, with, with, the, with modern production and the ability to hear the bass more and more clearly and, and the importance that's given so that people now grow up with understanding that the bass is the music. The bass gives you all of the feeling, like you said, of the pulse of the rhythm, of the foundation of the harmony, and you have such a huge role in that, in, in adjusting the role of the bass over the course of, of music in the last few years. So it must, must feel amazing to get that validation coming back at you. Uh, you know, I have a, a list of things that I tell my students uh, about how important the bass note is, singular note. And this one note does four or five things. It maintains the form, it maintains the chord, maintains the groove, it maintains the pitch of the band, it maintains the presence of the bass there. Each note we play, it does all those things. Yeah. And they are responsible for all of those notes. And I think I've been responsible for, and once I understood myself, the power of the instrument. And I don't mean power in terms of, of, of volume, the volume of the bass's presence and the volume of the note's responsibility for every note we play. Once I began to understand it, I was probably aware of it happening. But I didn't have, I didn't have the, the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the, the scientific curiosity necessarily to understand, well, why is that happening with these guys? You know, Why is that passage? Why is that note? Why is that rhythm? And I'm hearing perfectly correctly. How come they can't hear it like that? You know? Yeah. Uh, now that concept it can be probably more more easily explained now than I could X number of gigs ago or th- uh, years ago. Uh, but it's nice to see that that concept has been uh, gone to the next generation and how they're going to handle this de- evolving of this uh, awareness of not only is the bass more present, but now they got a better way to record it. They got better pickups, they yeah. got better preamps, they got better cables, they got I wish they had better studios, but they're almost all gone. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but right. more curious engineers. All these factors now are in the in the bass's uh, uh, toolbox that make the bass a lot more present and a lot more effective. Uh, even if he has uh, not the best choice of notes or rhythms, if he hears it back then. He'll make the he make the changes because it's so clear to him who his choices are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of studios, the last time we saw you, Maestro was in the studio uh, in New York City as we were recording your course for Open Studio here, uh, Blueprint for Jazz Bass. That was about a year ago this yeah, week, actually, exactly is when we were ago. recording that. And you've had quite a year since then. I was just kind of looking mm-hmm. over what you've done since the last time we saw you. So you had your 85th birthday celebration at Carnegie Hall, 
which is you survived it all the all the all the music and the accolades and all oh, man the amazing guest artists that you had you've had a, a pbs yeah. documentary come out mm. in the last yes. year yep. you went I'm on right notes yep. yeah you had uh, uh uh several tours i feel like with your band uh foresight with reenie and jimmy green uh and peyton crossley uh you had a lot going on, man. You played at Birdland. The Japan your... tour. You were one of the first uh, back in Japan that I, I I heard. I was like, Ron Carter's taking his group to Japan. I was like, are they open yet? I was like, well, that's the signal. They're open. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, just, just for the to get your, your uh, calendar, I just came back from uh, a one night in San Francisco with Ambrose. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Ambrose, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. SF Jazz is the collective that it's called, I guess. Yep. And... Uh, you know, they have a lovely 700, 800 seat concert hall there that's really well maintained. And they got the most current sound gear. Yes. And then they got sound people who are interested in making the band sound like a great band, like the records make them sound, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was last uh, Friday, Saturday. So uh, my schedule, given that we're now opening up to be able to have a schedule. Yeah. And, and the audiences, as I've been told from people who are really frequent the nightclub and concert series the people are really starting to come out again in droves because they want to see strangers right <laughs> want to see people in their environment you know so the clubs are getting filled yep. they're staying filled all night usually the second set is kind of the least crowded now they're, they're filling with the whole house for the whole evening yeah uh, i think this public awareness of uh, COVID not being so prominent in the club's function and that there needs to have that kind of monitoring of their behavior patterns, so to speak. Uh, the audiences are coming back full force. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to becoming active in that kind of uh, musical environment within the next, uh, uh, after the summer. Mm -hmm. how, how have you, you know, just looking at this past year, but I know your whole career, I mean, obviously you're at a point now where you could, you know, do no gigs or, as you say, be at the Palm Dreams in Florida with maybe mm -hmm. some other bass players playing bridge or something. But your very uh, intentional decision, not only to play for your 85th birthday at Carnegie Hall, of course, but also to still be playing in the clubs when you don't have to be playing the big concerts, doing writing the books, tours, writing books, you know, giving back. And as I said at the beginning, I think one of the things I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm so interested in all that you've given beyond the bassist because you, you know bassists all know, know you or even like piano players like us that play bass lines it's like you come up even when we're not thinking about you you sort of seep into our our musical lives but i think this you know you being really the conscience of a couple of generations now maybe going on three three generations of jazz musicians in that like you keep the standard high not only on the bandstand but professionally and like everybody talks about that they don't always talk about it in front of you because we're scared to baby sometimes <laughs> but i mean you are one of those that very small select group of players that has the experience that has the chops the knowledge but also puts the pressure on everybody to be like not even by saying you got to do this but just like hey this is what we elevate to and you've been doing that for a long time and so i i just wonder like what where do you find the energy and is it intentional for you to say, you know what, instead of just like easing up and chilling and looking at all my beautiful art or going to Florida or whatever, like what keeps you going and doing these things that are really seen as, as more giving back? And how. And how, <laughs> yeah. And how, if you got any secrets too. Yeah, we're going to write those down. Yeah. Well, well, both of you guys know you're still very active players. 
and you look, you're always looking for the best night you can have. Mm. You hope it's, you hope it hasn't come yet, mm. despite how good you're playing. You know, right. now multiply that times uh, sixty years. Each night I have a chance to play, I'm looking for that special note. Mm. I found I found one 1975, <laughs> one 1983. It, it stuck. <laughs> I'm looking for those moments, man, that that will make the music just glow in the dark. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, and then you can't find that at home practicing. Mm. You can't find that jamming somewhere. You got to be in a kind of a controlled environment. It allows you to continually stay outside the box, because mm -hmm. now the box is the band. Yeah, you know, the envelope that we're involved in—it's just, it's just the band, you know. And, and having the opportunity to play with all these wonderful people, man, mm. who I have a high regard for, and I think I've kind of earned the right to have them regard me at a, at a high level. I'm in a position then to have the location and the time and the mindset that maybe this is a night for that note mm. or maybe i can finally resolve that land based on what i heard last night on this tune at this temple because these guys are playing a different way than last night mm. for whatever reasons they are i think it's been a scientist you know i think a bass player were more scientists than bass players and they would play they would, they would think differently about the bass to be aware of the sound specifically the sound to be aware of what it takes to make that sound the sound night in and night out. Did they figure out a way how how the bass how the bass works? It's not their bass for the bass. They call the bass du jour. Mm -hmm. It's not their bass. What does this bass allow me to do? And I mean that literally. Mm -hmm. the curves of the strings, the, the distance the strings are apart. What kind of strings they are? How, how new are they? How many how many uh, pickups does a guy have attached to the bridge? And below the tailpiece, if, if they understood how the bass really worked, man, bass to sure would not be such a frightening experience for them. You know? That shouldn't scare them. They should say, aha, put, put on the Dr. Vandermeer hat, you know, <laughs> Dr. Vandermeer, mad scientist. Yeah, yeah. Here's a chance, man, to fix all those rumors, you know, about bad things happening to a good bass player. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, guys, is that uh, my upbringing was the one that assured me that I could only be successful if I was prepared to be successful. Mm. And by that I mean have a certain skill level, have a certain level of professionalism, certain level of respect for everybody. And, and, and last but not least, I could do those things. Mm. And those four or five headlines for each paragraph. They have their own story and you pull down the, the, the thing, you know, and, and uh, I think it's a combination of all those things. And, and again, the last but not least is playing with great guys who expect something new. Mm -hmm. now, occasionally, when, when I was working a lot of duos with wonderful piano players, Cedar Walton, Kenny Barron, mm. John Lewis, yeah. you know, occasionally, Steve Kuhn, occasionally I, I would feel like, I mean, I had enough of doing me. Mm. Is it possible to do a whole chorus of not me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that would mean for tonight, I won't play any non-core tones for four choruses. Mm. Or it, it may mean not playing anything past D on the G string. Yeah. 
that kind of control. And, 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 and at the end of the set, man, invariably, the piano player would say, are you okay? <laughs> say, yeah, man, I feel, I feel great, man. I curse at him for calling me not feeling very good. No, I feel <laughs> wonderful, man. He said, well, you're playing different tonight. Oh, well, different. I'm afraid to ask what that means, <laughs> but mm. okay. Let's try the next set. And if we do the next set, that's how it. <coughs> I like to think that I can, what I'm known to do or whatever that is, I'm put that screen down again so you can't see me blush. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the set, the man, I don't know if you drink, I don't know if you're drinking that, but we have to celebrate you coming back. Mm. Uh, so it's those kind of things, man. Don't you that make that make that note that I'm looking for, that the right note, quote unquote. Really amazing. Yeah. That that finding that, as you said, that magical note and, and the things you're mentioning here, I mean, it, it comes to mind that it's what you're talking about is is sort of that risk that happens when you're playing this music live in front of people and anything can happen. And then you put, you know, as you mentioned, like kind of restricting yourself. I'm going to be a different I'm not going to do me right now. I'm going to do this this other thing. Is there is there a certain alchemy in, in your experience, your vast experience with this? to kind of find those magic notes more often than not? Is there, is, are there a certain set of circumstances? Is it just being prepared, being open, as you said? Or is there anything I think, that... I think it's all of that, plus memory. You know, I, I think I'm going back to the bass player club now. Mm -hmm. I, I think if bass players remembered what they played, I mean, really remembered. The, the, the gems that they stumbled on for the last tune. And try to, try to transpose or transfer that gem to a different tune or a different tempo mm -hmm. or maybe not behind a piano player but behind the horn player with no piano player playing you know uh, uh, it's those kind of things finding the right note is a nice way to say I'm looking for that that diamond in the sky mm -hmm. you know and, and I think you know at some point I, my friend who's a, a real jazz fan not that the other time he said, look, uh, uh, Maestro, you got to start talking to the people more because they want to hear what you think, not just what you play, you know. So I, well, I haven't had a chance to do that because of the, the uh, long vacation, the <laughs> biggest extended set we had off, of, off the set. Uh, I've been telling people, I've told people several times that to, to realize that what they're seeing is a special event. It just happens to be that you're here. Every night, the band tries to reach another level, mm -hmm. and every level they reach is, accept is acceptable to us, but we know that there's another golden leaf somewhere, and you, ladies and gentlemen, just saw that leaf. Mm. So they're part of the, the, the growth progress that this band goes through night in and night out, only because they remember what it felt like last night. Mm. And if I can kind of instill in them the things that we happen collectively during the course of the previous song or the previous night and kind of to devolve, evolve that idea, that kind of development of a phrase or a range of an instrument. Or all of a sudden the piano player may just reach, reach in the piano and play a chord inside the piano keys. Mm -hmm. What happened to that possibility from last night? Is it tuned too fast? Is it not the right chord to put the keys down? The what? What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. It makes them more curious as to how the instrument can best affect the whole band. Not a lot of superfluous stuff that catches your eye necessarily, you know. Uh, 
And it's, and it's this kind of a scientist mentality that I've enjoyed maintaining for all these years. And I'm not like the oldest lab technician on the scene, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, got, I got my own lab coat right now and a little headband, you know, stuff. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm okay. But I, I think it's that, that scientist of curiosity that makes inventions take place. Uh, I'm not necessarily trying to invent new notes. I'm trying to find a new order of those notes that didn't work very well last night. This is the night for that note. I love that idea about thinking about the musical phrase over the course of several nights even, you know, mm-hmm. about thinking about remembering what, what the band has done and what you've done. That's, when that's I remember we t- we've talked about this before, and, and in your uh, one of your transcriptions books, you, you get into the kind of analysis of things that you played, and this is going back to the early 60s, like over Autumn Leaves with those great lines on there, and like, you know, we had looked through that, and I had grown up listening to those lines and actually transcribing, like learn. I never wrote them out, but I would learn them, but I'd never thought about it. I remember when you first told me about like, you know, thinking about it on that much of a macro level where it goes beyond, the, you know, where it goes to the whole tour, and then you yeah. connected it with the story of like, well, this place, I remember that base sucked, but I had to come in and do this or whatever, like the humanity of it all. It wasn't just, we're going in to do a recording. It was like the curtain opens and play. And but how you were able to make those connections, I think, is so instructive. And it goes, that's all I meant is like, it goes far, so far beyond bass players. Because if we could all think like this, pianists and drummers and stuff, it's it's such an exciting way. And and it's got to be a part of your secret to longevity of career, inquisitiveness, curiosity, as you said, your word, you know, in terms of approaching the music. And I'm sure you get, are getting this a lot now, especially after the 85th birthday celebration and everything. You're probably sick of the like, what's the secret to you know, the fountain of youth and all that, but, you know, being able to play at a high level. But I'm wondering, like, is this just the way you've done things or did you make a conscious decision at a certain point to be like, look, I want to keep doing this forever, so I'm going to do these things as a scientist, as you say, in order to make sure that I'm in a position to be able to keep executing on an instrument that is probably the most physically demanding. Notoriously. Just a, yeah, I mean, yeah. just from a from a body standpoint as well. Well, I think I'd like to think that I could control getting famous. <laughs> I think that's kind of out of our control. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what you can do, I think, is a recommendation of having a goal to look forward to. Is when you leave every gig, can you feel I played the best I could? Mm-hmm. That's always been my feeling. See, I, I didn't really play good tonight for a lot of reasons. The bass didn't sound good. They had the air conditioning on all night. My hands never got warm. The tunes were a little bit too fast or too slow for my ability to articulate what I'm trying to hear. You know, uh, I never thought that the gig was a bad gig. Mm-hmm. I never accepted that option. They've got five guys playing here. We can't all be terrible, man. <laughs> Somebody's got to be at least terrible. <laughs> you know? And uh, maybe they'll be me tonight. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll be the least terrible guy in this terrible band. You know, But I think just the... the, the uh, determination mm. to make sure I'm helping these guys who I'm playing with and gals who I'm playing with play differently. Hopefully it's a better differently. Mm-hmm. But now I hope I've made them enough conscious of this information that's coming from this guy who's in the back. How uh, they can use his baseline concept, his baseline direction to make the, make the solo they practiced at home not work right here, right now. Mm. If I can get that to happen, 
That's half my job. Mm, yeah. Because now I have their I, I have their attention. Mm. And when I have their attention, my 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 scientist says, "Okay, take off the hat, take off the coat, let's go to the pool and let's really get get down with this bad boy." Mm-hmm. Now we got some tension coming here. Mm. You know, you, you're not a coach and a swimmer. Let's let's go <laughs> next. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not yet. Not, not now. Stuff. Because I have their attention. Because now their mind is open to these other possibilities that I'm determined to keep in my toolbox. Mm. Having said that, uh, I, I can't think of any gig I played that I have not thought was a free lesson from whoever was in the band. I'm listening to the, I'm, I'm watching band leaders who treat the audience a certain way. I'm listening to band leaders who change the program because the audience is responding, not as they want them to respond. I'm listening to piano players adjust their touch as, a, as the, the sound guy makes the sound louder than the sound check today. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to how the drummer retunes the bass drum because all of a sudden the bass drum that he had fixed, it sounds really boomy and loud tonight because there are people in the audience. I'm watching the guitar player re, readjust his, his, his pickups because if the sound was nice and dry at the sound check, but now it's ringing all over the place. I'm watching these guys make these constant adjustments. Mm. My job, guys, is to make them think, or to let them think, that I'm encouraging this kind of adjustment, because I'm making mine too. And when we get straight in that same line, man, the music has a chance to really be important and necessary. Mm. We all can help that process. Mm. I, I think as a bass player, I kind of turned up the volume on the process. That's what I do. You know? My job is kind of make the notes that they didn't expect to hear from last night. Or there's a the same note in the same place on a different song. So what? Wow. Did we hear that last week, last night? Yes, but now it's over here. Mm-hmm. Can you make can you make your solo work? Can you make the dynamic of the band work? You know? And it's these kind of challenges that music allows me to, to not fear. You know, I, I don't mind a guy saying, man, what was that note? <laughs> Be flat. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know? Wow. So I wonder how yes, how you could have wondered, you know, the, the chartographer you mentioned briefly. Yeah. One of the reasons I like that book. Yeah. It's a great book. Is that it, it shows a baseline that evolves over five different performances and how the band responds to hearing this idea that's now five months old that's been evolving for five attempts at getting it right, whatever that finally means. Mm-hmm. And they're so used to hearing this kind of idea management and idea development that they expect it to happen, they expect it to happen night in and night out. Mm-hmm. And when you're playing with great players, man, how can you not accept that challenge? Yeah. You know? It's a it's a great it's really well done that book. And it's so cool yeah. to see the differences in the baselines and how they evolved. And then you have it marked when a substitution happens and when all of like a pedal point happens. And we'll have Caleb uh, put a link to that book, uh, Chartography, here in the show notes. We'll also link to your Open Studio course. And when we were speaking of the Open Studio course, when you were recording that, like I said, this time last year, uh, it was amazing to watch you in the studio, you know, in that environment. I've seen you live, and but I've obviously never been in, in a studio session where you've been. Is there any difference in your mind between a live performance and a studio? So like, how do you treat a studio session? Do you treat it just like a gig, like you might a, a concert, or do you treat it 
uh, is there any is there any special thing you do to prepare for that or that you need for those uh, that's different from a live performance? I think I think two things come to mind. Number one, this recording session is permanent. This recording session is permanent. This recording session is permanent. <laughs> Including all the terrible notes you played, this is permanent. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I think of is, are you willing to have your name attached to a record that you played terrible on? Mm. If you're not, what is it going to do on your part to make this record as good as you can? Are you focused for the whole arrangement? Are you thinking about your solo rather than hoping the band sound better because your presence is there? So important. I'm thinking, am I playing too hard? Physically too hard. Yeah. Am I playing too loud, physically too loud? Now that everyone is so close together, are you really playing in tune with the band? Are you playing in the right range of the studio? Range meaning a part of the bass sounds really great in this room, and we all have this kind of those strange sounds in the room. Have you found the right area in this room sound to make your bass really play by itself? Mm. When you find that space in the room, then you're on your own. The bass takes care of everything. Right. Mm -hmm. You can tie your tie, man, and still sound great. And <laughs> change your shoes, all that stuff, man, because the bass is taking care of the whole load of doing your job. So when I tell guys, man, tonight the bass is playing by itself. They know what that means to me. The environment is so complete in terms of interest, in terms of intensity, in terms of focus, mm -hmm. in terms of respecting my notes. We're on the, we're on the car together now, man, finally. Mm -hmm. It's only one set. We've got the set to do. That's Matt's the first set. Yeah. And the studio is the same kind of thing. It's so concentrated and so focused that it's hard not to be productive if everyone's on the same level of intensity. And sometimes when that intensity is not there, you do take six, take nine, <laughs> take 25, and no good. That's okay, no good. one, two, and three, uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Pretty soon everyone's bad everybody else. Yeah. Because everyone didn't have the same intent of making a record. Yeah, I, I've been called on several dates where uh, the the band that was hired didn't make a record. Didn't make a record because they instant they, they knew about they knew about playing in the nightclub or a concert, but they didn't know how to detune some things in the, in the studio. Mm. Playing really hard. Yep. Knowing you have on the club, you have all night to get it right. Mm -hmm. In the studio day, you have two choruses. And everyone's going to hear it, not just, not just your guy in the front row of the club. Right. This is for real. This is it, man. Yeah. Some people get fooled in the studio, too, by thinking, oh, we got all these takes. But what you might not know is nothing good happens after take three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with that, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can't. Yeah. Because musicians get so focused on them rather than the package. Right. You know, and they worry about their solo. But I'm sure you've been in situations where it's gone well past take three, probably not because of your performance. How do you keep that? Because, and I'm I'm sure. Well, now you could just be like, I'm out, peace. But I mean, how do you keep that same level of intensity and interest yourself, knowing that it's going beyond where it should be, knowing that no one's going to know 
that it wasn't you, that they were on take 12 or whatever. You got any secret tips for that? Selfishly, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I think it's a test. Do I really mean what I say? Am I able to focus on the same tune that has four false starts oh and a terrible ending? One more chance. Can I maintain my character mm -hmm. of an instrument? For yes. This is my test for today. Interesting. Can I still be the guy who raises the level of the music 25% because he walked in the door? Right. Right. That means I have the same I have to have the same level for whatever duration this tune is going to take. That's great. Or however many how many times I mean uh, uh, how many times that they just had the tune doesn't work. I see this kind of jam on this tune for a minute. I, I don't like to do that because it's just kind of it's like a throwaway then. Yeah. You know? These yeah. guys are serious about playing the music and you just wanna okay, well, how about trying guys, you know please. So that's my job, my my test is like how Disciplined am I to not allow my time clock of saying enough already is going to be extended enough already times eight times. Mm -hmm. And can I still maintain the integrity of my intent for this music? Mm -hmm. To maintain that, that respect for the music and the guys. Right. I, of course, I don't like to do take, take 10 or take 12. But I can assure you that my take 10 or take 12 are going to be as intense and as well played as my take one, two, and three. Mm. I'm making sure of that. That's my job to me. This this is such an important uh, message for young or any age musicians because I think a lot of folks see yourself and really just a small group of great players that that are in this category of like, well, yeah, of course they're great, but they're never having to go past take two because they're of that fame and prestige and but just for folks because you know we got a chance to work a little bit with you in the studio and just because you know i know a, a, about what your process and like what it takes to actually do this stuff it's just important for folks to know that it's kind of like when you hear you know people will hear herbie hancock on a fazioli and be like oh of course he sounds great because of the fazioli i'm like no i've heard him on and i know you've heard him on <laughs> a number of different pianos some uprights and some some yes, janky yes. stuff and folks just you know especially younger players they don't understand that. Some of them, some of them. And I, 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 it's so exciting to hear you talk about that. Because when I hear you say, like, you know, all these things that you're thinking about doing a recording or on a gig, like you're multitasking in terms of your communication and your senses on such a, you're talking about the bass drum and like the sound and the yeah. engineer, your strings. The, I mean, like, and, and I wonder how much of that is, because the obvious question, which I'm interested in, is like, how do you maintain that and keep doing that? Or, or is it the fact that you're doing all that, what keeps your mind so engaged and so active and keeps then the playing at a high level because of your active thought process as you're going through these recordings or gigs? Okay, you know, I'm speaking about how curious I am. I gave you an example of how, how my curiosity brought a solution. Every summer, of course, the air conditioning is real high in, in the nightclubs. In the dressing room, if there is one, it's really high in the dressing rooms. Mm -hmm. And with the new uh, need for fresh air given the COVID, COVID stuff, it's really even more cold than nightclubs. Mm -hmm. For me, that's terrible because my hands never get warm all night. So one day I went to a hardware store. And... Uh, I was going to buy some hardwares. I said, man, do you have any hand warmers here? He said, yeah, we got some in the back. See, come in. It's just a little packet. It's a sand inside of some kind of chemical. You shake them up like this, and they heat. 
Okay, so I bought two packs, one for me and one for my buddy who was playing guitar. We're both complaining about our hands being cold between sets. Enough. Okay, let's try this, see if it works. And after the first, after the second set, and we were both amazed at how, how more ready our hands were to be played, used, because they were no longer trembling from the cold and weren't, we weren't doing this for 20 minutes before the set started, you know? Now, that kind of curiosity, that kind of willingness to go one more step. I mean, we've asked the club owner to turn the air conditioning down, turn it off, turn the stuff yeah. that, that guys tolerate because they don't know what other choice they have. Well, my choice was to go to the hardware store. Say, hey, man, can you hand warmers? What is that? What is that? Mm-hmm. Now, they got eight or nine brands, they method style. Yeah. The fact is they are affordable, they're not expensive, and between sets, my hands don't get cold anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's all a part of, 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 of demonstrating the, the, the desire to not leaving no stone unturned to allow me to play what I think I hear. And hopefully these warm hands now between sets will let me have a better chance of doing them before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, I wonder if we could just switch gears just slightly and talk about, because we've, we've talked about your books that you've written uh, for bass instruction, specifically your Open Studio course. And this is something that's kind of happened a little more recently in your career, but I wonder if you could talk about your process for teaching because, you know, we do obviously a lot of it around here and it's, it's not playing. It's its own, it's its own art form to kind of relay that information to students. I know you've done a lot of, of one-on-one instruction with, with talented students and mentored great basis, but I wonder if you could talk about uh, your process for really, you've got such a clear mind on how you want to present an organized mind on how you want to present the information uh, is there an inspiration or a process that you use to to decide how you want to teach your your methods? Well, I think the first thing I try to do uh, is find out what is their level. You know, what, what do they think they can do? And so, before I take a student, I'll have them send me a MP4, which is the sound and the video. I just want to see what they do and how they do it. And the second thing I ask them is, what do you what are your strong points and what do you think I can help you get better at? Now, I asked that question to find out how they feel about themselves playing. It's not enough to come to me for a lesson. You need to have a view of what can you learn when you walk out of my room. When that door closes, how much is it going to stick up here? <laughs> or here, as it may, as it may be. You know? What do you want to get better at? I'm trying to see how they feel about them playing the bass. You know? If you can do all these things, then what can, what can I do for you? What, what's my input to make you play better than what you think you play already? And once I get a bead on what I think they think they need, I show them what I think they need. Now, maybe I'll even demonstrate some things that they hadn't seen done live. They have on record, but how, how that how happened live. This is how I happen to do this particular item, whatever it is. But to make this work, you got to know if my fingers on F on the D string, what notes are here? There's a big silence here. <laughs> that that tells me one thing: they don't know the bass. Yeah, definitely not. Or here. they don't know the bass very well. Yeah. If you, if you have first finger B flat, 
a, a, first finger A flat on the G string, what notes are here? And how many chords can you play without doing this? Mm -hmm. So, well, okay, two things you got to learn the bass better, you student. And here's a method that helps that process. Mm -hmm. The next thing is that I ask them to play me an open string, open D, open, open A string. And they were, you know, at quarter note is 92. That's my favorite time, you know. Mm -hmm. And I have them just go up on the A string, just play an F major scale for a moment. Okay, now just turn the A string, and just play the open A. Bang, 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 bang. And they keep doing that, and they let the hand, the left hand go as they, they play it. All, all happens, they let the, let the right hand go up toward the scroll. And I say, okay, come back down. And I ask them, what did they hear? See? I heard the A string. Well, duh. Let's do it again and listen more carefully. So how they they start down here. They move, go slowly go up to the toward the scroll and come back down again. Okay. What did you hear? Well, but the sound, I think it changed. The sound is supposed to change. And what's happening right now is that as you go toward the scroll with the right hand pitch, because the string changes. The tension changes. That you plan up here, like you wanted the sound, but you plan down here. So the only way that's going to work is if you stay down here and get the kind of quiet sound you want here, still down here by the end of the fingerboard, where you have some substance, you have some body to the sound, you have some color to the sound, you have the notes clearly starting and clearly stopping to let you control the length of that sound. So once I explain this to them, uh, they're in my pocket, but they're getting close to my doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And yeah. I'm showing them the, 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 the subtleties of the instrument. Right. And, and they, they trust my judgment. Yeah. And, and, and take notes by hand on the pad of paper, not, the, not, not this thing here, and read that every day before they practice. They will see some changing in their sound because they're hearing differently. Mm -hmm. They're watching the process we talk about in the lesson take place at their house. Let's, let's start with that. No, that's amazing. Do yeah, do you so so many bassists uh, again of several generations have taken one lesson or many lessons. I mean I'm always hearing about I'm like, wow, how did he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for all these recordings. I'd seen him on tour and you've given a lot of lessons and you've given back a lot specifically to bassists and then I think through your bands over the years, you know, I know that you've taught from the bandstand, you know, to piano players and guitarists and, and horn players and stuff. But there's another side of your, uh, you as an educator that I think is, is really is legendary at this point in the jazz community and beyond, which is kind of like letting folks know this is the way we do things, you know, keeping certain traditions going on, letting everybody know beyond just the music, the level we're at. And I think about that story that I heard Jonathan Baptiste tell uh, relatively recently of when he first met, I don't know if you remember this, when he first met you and you kind of schooled him. And I think his whole thing was, and you know, I know Jonathan in New Orleans since he was 13 years old and I love Jonathan, but I could, when he told that story, I was like, I could totally picture it. Knowing both of you, I was like, I know how this went down. <laughs> and you kind of schooled him in front of some other musicians in a dressing room. But I'm just wondering, like, did this, just, like, did this become a master plan for you to be able to like, you know, teach at the right time beyond the notes and the chords and the piano, you know, and all these different things. But these things that are really about, hold on a second now, you know, 
being able to look around the corner and be like, you might be in Berlin next week having to do this with this person or going here to Brazil or whatever. Um, you've provided a lot, you know, beyond what you probably even know, because we're always all talking about it amongst ourselves. Oh, did you hear what happened with such and such? Oh, yeah, he gave him that look and whatever. But like, how did you become that guy? Um, Peter, there's a way to give someone respect without patting them on the shoulder. There's a way to make someone feel uh, important without doing like this. Mm. And, and it's a small thing. My name is, for a student, a teacher, Maestro, Mr. Carter. And, and I think that level of respect is a part of background. It's a part of uh, your training, however you, however you define that word, training. You know? uh, I, I never called my parents by their first name. Hmm. We just didn't do that back in the day, 1940. Yeah. We always respected our neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Williams. Mr. and Mrs. Jackson, we never called them by their first name. Out of respect, one, for their age, for their seniority, for our respect for their experiences, and for our respect for them. And, and, and so when I, when, I, when I tell my students, when I question them about a statement or something, they say, yeah, or no. So wait, 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 wait. Now, I'm, I'm uh, about 60 years older than you are, and I think I like the word no with, it, with all the letters involved, both of them. And the second letter, second word, three letters, S-I-R. I like those five combination letters. Mm -hmm. It shows me you respect my age, you respect my experience, you trust my judgment, and you accept that I've been there for a long time before you. Mm -hmm. And once you get that level of respect by just that simple greeting, Yes, sir. Or no, sir. Or, or, or yes, Mr. Carter. Or yes, Maestro. It changes their attitude toward the lesson, man, because they know that this guy, me, is demanding of them without them playing two notes. And that's really important for me. Mm. And it's really important for them as they leave my space, my studio, and start going to work, meeting, mm. meeting people. How you address them? Are you courteous to them? Do you show them, do you appreciate their presence? That, they, that they're here because of your performance, of the group you're playing with? Mm. Can you convince them just by saying, yes, ma'am, that you respect the, 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 the being of this person in front of me? Mm. Can you show them that you really are honored to be in their presence by saying, yes, sir, and no, sir? No, yeah, man, yeah, what's up? No, wait, guy, please. <laughs> what's up, bro? <laughs> don't get, yeah, yeah. sub dog. No, no, don't do that to you. I'm not standing. There. I'm not standing there hearing that. Yeah. Well, I and mean, it's not complicated, man, and, and they they want that kind of direction. Right. Right. Because they're in the world. They're not just in their neighborhood block. Right. They're going to big airports, train stations. They're seeing a lot of people, different people, every hour, man. Right. They're looking for some kind of guidance other than what their small circle of guys. Give them. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm not on a one-man, I'm not a language police or a reading police, but... Uh, but it's a, a vibe. It's a, it's, a added, it's a vibe, right? It's a, yeah, it's it's a feeling. Attitude. It's a feeling, right? Yeah, you, you know, and, and uh, yes, I carry that feeling. I've earned it. I'm 85, going to 86. Look, I can do that and not feel any pain. Yes, mm -hmm. ma'am. Yes, sir. Yeah. Can I help you, please? Well, I remember hearing, uh, I think it was an interview, or maybe I even heard him say it directly, but Herbie Hancock, it even goes well before 85. Cause I remember hearing Herbie talk about, Mr. Hancock, talk about um, you and how, cause I always, you know, Herbie, Ron, and Tony, like that's a legend. I mean, like that's, there's very few like three names that you, you know, be like Magic and Kareem or whatever, you know, like I came up with like, that's, that's the Trinity right there. And yeah. um, so I always just figured you guys, you know, you never think about the interpersonal relationships and all things. But I remember Herbie Hancock talking about how when Miles put the band together, you know, you were the one where he was like, yeah, me and Tony were like, oh, yeah, we wanted to play with Miles, but we wanted to play with Ron because you were a little more established. And like he described you. I remember exactly what he said. He said you were the bass player. You were the next one. You were the guy in New York to play with. So he was like, I was excited for that. I'd heard him. And his level of respect, it wasn't like, you know, and I know you guys are relatively close in age, but like you were a little step ahead of him, maybe in terms of, uh, of just how people experience. had heard experience, yeah, and what everybody knew, but most importantly, what the other musicians knew. So there was that that respect there, and so I think it's it's such a cool thing. We've always seen that within the musical community, but when you do these things, and they're like almost public services, like with Jonathan. And I don't mean to pick on John; I love that guy, but yeah, I think, me too. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's such a. I, I mean. I, I look at him as kind of, and maybe this could even be the last question. Thank you for all the time. Too. Yeah. I don't want to, we could sit here all day. I know. But, but you got more important <laughs> stuff to do. No, but I was just thinking you're, you're so well connected with and, and the small group of like really jazz celebrities or just musical celebrities of which there's not a lot that are playing at your age. A lot of them, there's not even a lot of them, you know, but I think that you, I look at Jonathan of, of like the equivalent of that of kind of our, not even our generation, younger. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and, and, you know, Winton and Branford, of course, you've seen different folks come and go, but you've always had some kind of connection with these leaders in our music and some kind of an imprint on them, maybe directly like with Jonathan. And certainly I know Winton and Branford when, when you guys did that, that tour, how much that shaped their vision for music and everything, VSOP and all, and all that. But I just wonder, like, how, how do you feel about sort of the jazz celebrities of today? And is this music in good hands beyond just the people playing it, but the real leaders like a Jonathan or something for us going forward? Uh, well, now that the world is, world is opening up and there's more chances for those guys to play more often, because mm -hmm. we're all pretty limited in our visibility uh, of our lives and our gigs for almost two and a half or three years, you know. Yeah. Now that now that the, there's some air moving around out there, I call it. Yeah. And this air is for the people who want to hear some good music and some, some friends play. Now that that's happening, I'll be able to get out more often and hear people play and give you a better answer. Mm. Right now, my general sense of where they are is that they're wonderful players looking for looking for somewhere to go. Mm. And I'm not sure they have found that that yet. Mm -hmm. uh, they for every good player, that's a good concept. But I think uh, the music right now is needing someone to grab them all by the throat. Say, let's stop doing that. Let's do this. Mm. 
and 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 uh, that sounds like a pretty vicious way of of uh, getting your point across. But sometimes it takes kind of, kind of takes that. Mm-hmm. I, I think Bird didn't consciously do that, but clearly he did that. For example, mm-hmm. Bird and Disney said, "Okay, look, guys, okay, this is it." You know, uh, Miles kind of the blue record. Guys, this is it. Miles the second quintet. Guys, this is it. Yeah. They haven't found that yet. Mm. And I think when they do, it'll be a tremendous explosion because they're guys out here who are really playing the horns. Yeah. Great skill level, great concepts, great concept concepts. Yeah. But no real concept. <laughs> yeah. Know? Does that uh, does that he or she that's gonna say, come on, let's do this that you were do you does that need to be kind of somebody a young person, like twenties, thirties, maybe forties, you if, if, if they believe what they're doing and somebody hears them, they'll all know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh I, I'm I'm glad my screen is up right now because I'm really starting <laughs> to my, my face is turning red now. I really I can really feel it coming. Mm-hmm. But it's like me in the base. Once I started something doing whatever that was. Bass players who I, who I would never see, who I would never hear. Part of what they do is because of me. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, my screen is changing color right now. Uh, <laughs> but but it'll, it'll be the same when the music finally finds a leader of right. of sorts. We're just taking about it. But okay, <laughs> that. Right, right, right. You know, and, and they'll know it because all those guys play good already. Yeah, the performance level and the skill level is really high right now, mm. and and I think there's so many guys who play that real high level. It just takes someone to say, "Guys, that's the right song, but those are some terrible lyrics." Check this out. <laughs> well, that's that's such an inspiring place for us to end, and to hear that from you because I mean I feel that way. We talk about this all the time, but to hear it from somebody that has experienced, you know, for a long time, what that would take and seen these things happen um, for, for you to be hopeful in terms of that, that the skill levels there. I mean, I know with piano players, I'm like, I think there's more great young pianists, you know, Jonathan and Sullivan Fortner and Emmett Cohen. I mean, there's so many, you know, it's it, the, the talent is obviously there. So it's super exciting. Clearly, to, clearly that's correct. Yeah. It just needs to stop. Right. 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 Well, I'm going to do one gig at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, amazing stuff. It's always an honor to talk to you, Maestro. Thanks yeah. for uh, spending this hour with us. We'll link to all of your books and yep. your open studio video course. And uh, you have anything coming up that you want to talk one about? Thing. One, one thing. Yeah. I got a new book coming out for the next two weeks. Mm. It's called Drops. Hey. Hey, now. That's something people are interested in with is you. That something, yes. Is that something you might know about? That's... Yes. I, I do. <laughs> There are, 30, there, are 30, there are 30 examples, all of them cataloged correctly, all of them notated correctly, thanks to Dave Barron. Mm. Uh, good text. And then there are 30 drops with the QR codes that let you know how this looks and what it sounds like. Mm. Yeah. Over various changes, various tempo, various backgrounds, these drops have their own life. And this new book, which you hope is out in the next two weeks, shows you exactly what this drop with Eddie Harris looks like. Okay. And what this drop on Miles, what this, what this drop really looks like and how it sounds that way because what's preceding it and what's after it. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. We, he's I'm very happy with this project, man. It's a, a lot he, of work. He's too <laughs> humble to say, but you know, these are called for those of you who don't know. These are called amongst musicians Ron Carter drops. Exactly, so it's, right. appropriate. Drops. it's yeah. appropriate that you would release a book on it. No, and I'm excited to see that, and folks are gonna. We'll definitely link to that. And I mean, I like can. along with <laughs> uh, chart chartography. I think the exciting thing is like with your educational concept, you do such a great job of actually. We've talked about this. This has really never been done, I would say, with those transcriptions of Autumn Leaves in that, like, there's been so much great analysis, especially of that period in that band, obviously legendary band. I mean, people have picked that stuff apart, but nobody's ever, like, an important musical document or, you know, documentation of, you know, an album or, or kind of a band has never been analyzed by somebody that actually was, there. was in it yeah, yeah, in yeah. a way that is so thoughtful. <laughs> like it's always somebody else, which is interesting, but yeah, there's nothing yeah, like, yeah. you know, and so I would just say for everybody, I know for it's me. It's always a little hearsay though when it's from somebody It is. Else. It's yeah. always like, and I mean, I think music theory in general, it's like if you're going to analyze Beethoven's music, well, he's gone, so he can't do it, but it would have been cool <laughs> to see what he thought of it. And I think that your really thoughtful analysis, people need to really pay attention to that, yep. especially piano players and drummers yep. because – we talk about like, you know, what's the one instrument that you're always going to be playing? The drummer might lay out, the pianist might lay out, the horn players do lay out, and the bass player is probably going to be playing. It's like, how do you learn how to play with a great bass player? Learn learn what it takes to be a great bass player. And so I learned so much from those from those lines and your analysis. It's, just, it's like another prism of looking how this music yeah. evolved. And so thank you. Yeah. Thank you're you, welcome, guys. Yeah. Well, uh if it, I'm not sure if it's foggy in the background or it's time for my nap. <laughs> <laughs> it could be both. It could, it could, yeah, be, it both. could be either or both. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to go off and like have some lunch and celebrate our conversation. And, and, hey man, and just, you guys, thank you for the interest. Thank you for your time. And, and thank you for this uh, platform that allows me to talk to two nice guys over some very important musical concepts. It's an o- open thank invitation. You. Anytime yeah, open you want invitation. to talk, we're, we're, we're open for talking. The only problem is, since you keep getting younger every time we talk, and we're definitely getting old, <laughs> like, we're gonna, there's going to oh, be no. a point where we're going to cross over and you're going to be like, who are these two old guys? Why am I talking to them? It's going to become dangerous. and It's, it's going to be like Benjamin next time Button. I see a, next time I see you, I'll have a high chair. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Thank you so much, Maestro. Have a great yeah, day. Be well. Be well. Love Bye-bye. you. Love you too. Peace.